Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. And if you have a phone, you're welcome to go to the Uversion app, and we have all of our notes available to you uh, on that Uversion app. You just go download it, just log into your account. It's a Bible app. You click on More, uh, search Love City Church, and then everything is there for you. And uh, you can follow along in the message, and, and it gives you an opportunity just to kind of know where we're going next and so forth. But we're going to get into the Word today. We're going to start a two-week series. For those of you who will be with us next week as well, we're going to do a series called What Next? What Next? And as always, my internet, even though, there you go. Thank you, Brittany. You can just hang with me, okay, girl? Just, there you go. Thank you. Um, we're going to get into a series called What Next? Last week, we talked about the idea that, uh, that Jesus had died and been buried in the grave. He uh, was dead, and these disciples who followed him had spent all this time with Jesus hearing this incredible message of life, these promises and all these wonderful, exciting things that they heard from Jesus. And they had all these great promises and all these great uh, uh, dreams of the future. And then one day, Jesus decided to go and die. And it threw them for a loop. They didn't know what was going on. And even though Jesus talked about uh, rising from the dead, the truth is they just didn't understand what he meant when he said that. And so today I want to talk to you about some uh, ideas about what happens next after Jesus rose from the dead. What does it look like as followers of Jesus? What does it look like for you and I to, uh, to experience uh, this life as a follower of Christ? Honey, do you have my keys on you? Do you have my keys on you? Thank you. You can hand those to me in a minute. You know, I, a couple years ago, we bought my Honda, a little Honda uh, Civic. And I bought my Honda Civic about, about three years ago. And thanks, honey. And we bought our Honda Civic about three years ago. And a cute little car. Got a good price on it. And my wife convinced me that we won't need an SUV in Calgary. Uh, and so I went with the cheap, small option. And I'll let you know I do need an SUV in Calgary. Uh, we've gotten stuck more than I can count in this last season. Uh, but we were, uh, got it. And it was exciting. And it came with, when, when, I, when I got the keys for my Honda, I was given the Honda key fob that locks the door and pops the trunk. And then I was also given this other one that is like an alarm, I guess an added alarm to the system. And so I um, took this off of my keychain and I put it in a drawer in my house and I just started using the manufacturer's key fob. And so I was, uh, you know, living life, doing my thing. Winter would come around, and as you know, uh, it's probably a good idea to have an auto start in your car over the winter. And my wife and I had talked a lot about it, but we didn't want to spend $400, so we just thought, okay, we're just going to keep braving it out. And so I would go out in the middle, especially this winter, I would go out in the middle of the, the minus 40 cold, and I'd go out up in Red Deer. I was scraping the car and shoving the snow off and turning the car on, and then every five minutes I got to look out the window to make sure nobody's still in my car and it's just a terrible experience. In fact, it makes me hate the snow, hate my car, and I just want to stay inside and never go anywhere ever again because I wish I had an auto start in my car. And so I'm really having a driving experience and it's awesome, but I just wish I had that one small thing. And one day I was driving, having lunch with my friend Ryan Kerr. And I was driving in his car and I looked on his dashboard and there was this little contraption on his dashboard. It looked like a little antenna. I said, Ryan, what is that? He said, oh, that's an antenna for my auto start on my car. I thought, oh, you're lucky. I wish I had an auto start on my car. And then I sat there for a minute, and I thought to myself, I have that same contraption on my windshield. (laughs) 
So Ryan came over to my house and we got this key fob out of the drawer. And he looked at the instructions on the back of this key fob. And it says to press this twice and your car will start. <laughs> and so he pushed his finger down on the auto start as I stood in front of my car and and I thought, I'm so excited, but I'm also very angry. <laughs> For two and a half years, the ability to start my car from a thousand kilometers away or whatever was sitting in the drawer of my house. Little did I know that this key fob could have changed my life this year in the worst winter in 50 years. So that's kind of, I think, maybe as we come into our story today with the disciples, maybe how they felt about their journey with, with Christ. Jesus had come along. They were living their normal lives. They were fishermen. They were regular old guys living their normal life. And one day, Jesus shows up on the shore of their life and says, follow me. And they were compelled to follow this man that they had never met before. John, the Baptist, stood on the shore and declared, Behold, this is the Lamb of God. And so the disciples were feeling as though this was pretty amazing. This must be someone special. And so they gave their lives to follow after Jesus. And they, they saw some supernatural things come into their natural world. Before they were living a natural life, now they were walking down the street and people were being healed. And a man was being raised from the dead. And eyes were being restored that were blind. And people were being forgiven of their sins sins and Jesus was making statements and saying things that were overwhelming their minds. It was like God had come to earth. It was almost like the kingdom of God had come to earth. It was a supernatural world colliding with a natural world. Something changed, but then Jesus went and died. It was almost like that key fob being in that drawer. They took this potential and these promises and this capacity and the, the promises that Peter received that I'm going to build my church on you and, and, and wherever you, you loose will be loose and whatever you bind will be bound in heaven and, and you're the rock and I'm going to do these things in your life. And Peter heard these incredible things from Jesus, but now Jesus is lying dead in a grave. All he heard was the message of death. All he heard was an empty tomb. He could not let his mind get to the point where he was processing the fact that Jesus would rise from the dead in bodily form. He would rise from the dead. And here they are, sitting in a house, disbelief, disillusioned, frustrated, just like that key fob, they put it right in the drawer, they shut the drawer, and they thought to themselves, well, that would have been a great idea, that would have been awesome, but here we are. But then Jesus decided to do something incredible. Jesus decided that he was going to rise from the dead. He rose from the dead, and when he rose from the dead, something changed, something transformed in their life. And when he rose from the dead, we see, I believe, six things happen in the next two weeks. We're going to talk about three today, three tomorrow, next week, three, I'll call them keys to unlocking a spiritual realm in your natural realm. Three, uh, six keys, and I hate things like that because it sounds like you do them and everything's gonna get better. I just, let me, uh, Jesus told Peter he's gonna give him the keys of the kingdom. So if I can use that today as a key or a next step, these six things that Jesus 
directly identifies are ways in which you and I can experience a supernatural realm, a supernatural God in our natural world. Because without God, we are closed-minded to the idea of the spiritual realm. We live in two worlds, a natural world and a spiritual world. What Jesus does is he opens our eyes to the supernatural world, and we begin to live a life supernaturally, not just naturally. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to spend our time in Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, 13 to 19. Let's read it together. It says, It's the same day two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. Next slide, please. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only stinking person in all of Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. And Jesus says, what things? And for the next few verses, uh, we see, oh, there we go, praise God. For the next few verses, we see that, that uh, these men, Cleopas and this disciple, begin to just explain to Jesus about the prophets and all that happened in, in, during the time when Jesus was crucified. And so Jesus then was frustrated by their unbelief. He was frustrated by the fact that he could see doubt and unbelief in his disciples' hearts and mind. And so he began to walk them through the scriptures, from Moses to the prophets, all the way up to the point when he was risen from the dead. And it says in the scripture that he helped them understand these things. But then in verse, uh, in verse uh, uh, where is it? There it is. Verse 30, I'm sorry, 28 and 29. It says this on the next slide. It says that after Jesus had walked them through this journey, he walked them through this thing on Luke uh, 24, verse 28. It says, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey, and Jesus acted as if he was going on. So, hey guys, great conversation. I'm glad I could share these things with you. Thanks a lot. See you later. And look what the scripture says. They begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. These men were full of doubt, they were full of sadness. They were, they were full of all sorts of things going on in their lives. And they were, they were disciples who were disillusioned with how things went with their relationship with God. And Jesus, they began to spend time with Jesus and something began to burn in their heart. Something began to change in their lives. Something began to shift inside of them. And they began to recognize in this scripture very clearly that Jesus was, was something special about this man that they just did not understand. And so they begged him to stay. Please stay with us. Jesus didn't ask to stay with them. These men invited Jesus into their home. And it says in the scripture that these men were sitting there about to have dinner in their home. In the next verse, it says this. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took bread and blessed it. He broke it and he gave it to them. There's something happened in this moment where Jesus did something uh, that, that we have seen before. We've seen this moment before in history. This man, they didn't know who he was. He sits down. He's in their home. They love being with him. Their heart's burning within them. And all of a sudden, he takes out a piece of bread from the table. This is a big piece of bread, and it's going to make a big mess. All of you uh, uh, OCD people, just relax. He 
takes a piece of bread and he breaks it just like this. And they're thinking, what is going on? He takes a piece of bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks to God for it. And then he hands them some and immediately these guys are like, oh my gosh, something, I've seen this before. We see this just actually two chapters prior in Luke chapter 22. Look at this verse in Luke chapter 22. He took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, and he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The first key that I want to give you today that I believe there is something supernatural that Jesus gave us to do that will bring the, the supernatural realm of God into our natural world, and it might seem very simple on the next slide, is very easy, communion. Jesus sat there for a moment with these men, and it says in the scripture that he broke bread, he gave thanks for it, and he had, he had communion with them, and guys, something significant happens in this next verse. Something incredible happens. There was a moment where they were full of disbelief, they were disillusioned, they were full of guilt and shame, they were feeling disconnected from God, they were, for, they were really off track. They were focused on the death, they were focused on their disillusionment, they were focused on their frustration. They were focused on all sorts of things. And Jesus takes a piece of bread and hands them this bread and immediately something changes in their life. Look at the next verse here. It says this. It's suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized. And that word recognize in the Greek is epikonosko. It's the idea of having intimate knowledge. It's actually the Greek word used on, a, on another root word. It's a, a cousin word to the word used. When a man and a woman get married and they have sexual relationship with one another, they call that epikonosko. That's to know someone. It means on our level with God, there was an instant, in, intimate, deep connection. They had a revelation of who Jesus was. They went back to the moment when they sat there in that room with Jesus and Jesus broke bread with them and said, I'm gonna die but on the third day I'll be risen again. Do this in remembrance of me. And at that moment, they remembered, oh my gosh, he did what he said he was gonna do. This is why he gave his body. This is why he died on the cross. This is what all those prophetic words of years, of generations were coming back from Moses to Isaiah to Ezekiel to Jeremiah prophesying about this one moment, the moment of communion. They had a revelation of Jesus Christ. And when you and I break bread with one another and with Christ through communion, something supernatural happens. Suddenly, you see something that you never thought before. In fact, I believe that remembrance, that moment brings you back and restores your faith in Christ again. Look at this next slide here. The, the next scripture, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as we talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us and within the hour. Listen, they just did a like three or four day journey to, uh, to Emmaus from Jerusalem. They were there for one hour. They met Jesus and they were so passionate to tell the news. They packed their bags and went on a journey right back. Six day journey for a one hour visit to their home. They turned around and they were so passionate for the things of God. They ran back and the scripture says on the next slide, it says, uh, didn't our hearts, uh, yeah, right here, thank you. It says, he told the 11 disciples, the Lord has really risen. These disciples went into this story with disbelief. They went into this story with confusion. They went into this story not understanding 
why Jesus did what he did in our lives. And when the moment they had a moment of remembrance back to the cross, it restored their faith and belief in who Jesus is. Why would we need to remember? Why would it be important for us to remember? Let's look at the Greek word for remembrance. Look at that word, anamnesis. It's the exact opposite word to the word amnesia. It stands in, con it's contrary to the idea of forgetfulness. It's the opposite of forgetfulness. The reason Jesus needs us to have moments of communion with him is because he knows that we need to be reminded because we forget. In 9-11, on 2011, I was in Bible college my freshman year. I'm American, so I'm gonna say it like I wanna say it. Freshman in college, I was sitting in my room at 5.30 a.m. and we had a little TV connected to the intranet, dial-up connection, thank you very much. And we weren't allowed to have intranet in uh, the World Wide Web in our dorm because it was bad. And so we were watching this TV of the Twin Towers. And that rocked me as a, I'm an American. I mean, it rocked me as American. I, I imagine it rocked the world. I don't know as a Canadian perspective what that must have been like. But for me at that moment, it was like, oh man, like this is a big deal. But the reason it has some significant impact for me is because uh, on this next slide here, uh, this is Eric Hartano. Eric Hartano and I were very, very close friends, and he died in the second plane that flew into the Twin Towers. When I found out that Eric Hartano, I had uh, played basketball with him in high school. I mean, he, he was just one year out of college. He was one year ahead of me, so uh, he was basketball together. We had a uh, teacher's aide together. We were friends. We ate together. We were friends. I promised myself that I would never forget what happened on that day because my very close friend died. And I tell you something, I forget about him all the time. In fact, I didn't even remember him until this dropped in my mind when I was preparing this message. And it's been months and months and months since I've considered my friend who loves Jesus. And before he went to be with Jesus, the, his mom would tell the story about how he was up in his room praying to God. And he came downstairs and she said he glowed like he had been in the presence of God. And he walked down the stairs and said, Mom, I want you to know something terrible is going to happen. I don't know what it is, but it's okay. Jesus is going to take care of you. That's what he said the day before he died. I promise not to forget it, but I do. And the reason I forget it is because I am prone to amnesia. I'm prone to forget about the incredible sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid for me. And if you want to bring the supernatural world into your natural world, we need to share communion with Jesus. The second thought here today as we continue in our story in Luke chapter 24, 35, this is a little bit of a longer verse, but it's more of a story, so come to reading time. Here we go. Then two from Emmaus told the story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself, again, suddenly stood there among them. Now, little note, they had the doors locked because they were afraid of the Jews. So Jesus walked through a wall here. It's super cool. He walked through a wall, and just as they were telling, uh, telling about it, Jesus himself suddenly standing there, he says, peace be with you, Shout Verse 37, but the whole group was startled. They were afraid, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Next slide, please. Look what he says. Why are you frightened? Why do you have fear? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. 
As he spoke, he showed them his hands and he showed them his feet. Now this is up to this point, almost 500 individuals have a, uh, have a, a testimony, a, a, uh, a clarified, confirmed testimony that they saw Jesus in bodily form with holes in his hands and his feet. After he was dead in a tomb, they identify that Jesus actually rose from the dead. John, who wrote, or Luke, who wrote this, was there. John was there. Matthew was there. They were there when Jesus was in this room. He says, and as he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. And still, they look at this, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Next slide, please. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it. They just stood there and watched him. <laughs> then they said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds under the scriptures. Next slide, please. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that his message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Look at this. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. Now, the second thing that we see in the scripture today, this is, is the idea of repentance. See, these men did not believe. They, now, now, you think it's hard for you to, you to believe in Jesus. Imagine being there in the room with Jesus and still having a hard time believing. They, they didn't believe. They struggled in their belief. They were disillusioned and upset. And, they, and the, the scripture clearly says they had fear and they had unbelief in their heart. Unbelief is not having faith. They did not have faith in the very Son of God, the Messiah that they declared was the creator of the universe. They did not have belief and they rejected the idea that Jesus Christ could actually rise from the dead. We see moments of repentance all throughout this story. And this is what happens when you hear the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What happens is, is your heart is compelled to repentance. Repentance is not just a vocal thing. Repentance is not you raising your hand in church. Repentance is not you coming to an altar. Repentance is not you vocalizing, God, I want to follow you. Repentance is something that happens supernaturally in your life. It's not just a vocal confession. It's not just you standing up and saying, I'm gonna serve God. Because you know what? That wavers. What repentance is, it's, it's a spiritual change of your heart. If we look back at the story of, of, of Jesus in the Beatitudes, he did, a, he did a sermon. This is his famous sermon, the Beatitudes. And it's interesting if we look at it here for a moment. We need to understand that the repentance opens the door for the supernatural world in your life. Going down and humbling yourself and repentance is actually going to unlock a spiritual world that you've never experienced before. Look at the scripture in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why would Jesus start here? He opens his, I mean, can you imagine me opening my message with this? Like, hey, everybody, the thousands of people, I want you to know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. The reason Jesus started here, because Jesus knew that the foundation of everything you will experience in the kingdom of God starts with repentance. Everything you want to experience in your walk with a supernatural God starts with repentance. 
And see, what Jesus knew here, he knew that if they could just come to a place of bankruptcy spiritually, that the kingdom of God was theirs. Everything you want in the supernatural world is yours. Not only that, but it impacts your natural life. It impacts your marriage. It impacts your parenting. It impacts your finances. It impacts your attitudes. It impacts your work environment. It impacts you on multiple levels. Joy and peace and self-control and joy and love for others. It impacts you in a natural way as well. And when the kingdom of heaven comes into your life, the access code, the the way to experience that is through the doorway of repentance. Nothing will happen until this happens in your life. You will not be able to experience God in the way you want to experience God until you can bring yourself to a place in life where you are repentant. It's just the reality of how being a Christian works. Repentance isn't something we say, it's something that we realize. Look at these words, the words repentance here to give you a further, or, I'm sorry, poor or poverty on the screen here. The, the Greek word penis is poverty that depends diligently, daily labor to earn a living, meaning basically uh, you work a job, maybe a minimum wage job, or maybe you beg and you need to beg, you need to ask for money to pay your bills. If you miss a day, you basically will fall apart. You don't have any f- savings. You don't have any future investments. You basically have everything that, that you have, but you're making money. You're basically living a sustainable life. In our culture, we'd call this low-income individuals. Hello, that's me. Just kidding. Low-income individuals, individuals who, who beg on the street or hold a sign or they, they, they basically need the money and they have a sustainable life, but they don't basically don't have a future investment. That's not the word Jesus used. The word Jesus used is here and the second word is, is uh, patokos, to cower and cringe like a beggar who crouches unwilling to lift his eyes, pleading alms and moving about in a wretched condition. It's the classic idea of begging, but in traditional sense, it was this man or a woman who was so humiliated in the idea that they would crouch and cower when they would put their hand out as they begged, saying, I really, really need you to come through right now. I need a breakthrough. I have nothing left in my life. I've got no relationship left. I've got no finances left. I've got nothing in my own natural ability. I have nothing left. I am bankrupt and I just need a helping hand from a loving God to come at this moment and help me. I have no wealth. I have no influence. I have no honor. This is the word that Jesus used. The spiritually bankrupt. And see, these disciples came to a point where they were so disillusioned with their lives. They had committed themselves to this man that had left them, that had left them out. They were afraid. They were filled with doubt. They're, potentially, I would even go as far to say that maybe relationships were struggling because they were so impacted by the loss of Jesus that maybe their marriages were struggling or maybe their kids didn't see them or who knows, but it was impacting their lives. And this is the key to the kingdom. It's almost like The idea here is that you come to the end of your rope. You realize that your marriage doesn't satisfy as you thought it would. And you realize your kids don't satisfy as you thought it was. And you realize that finances don't satisfy and your career doesn't satisfy. And man, you're just not as good as you thought you were. And man, I just keep making mistakes in my life and I just have nothing else to offer. And your own natural ability comes to the final end and you realize I am at the end of my rope. I have nothing past this. I have no backup plan. I have no investment. All I have is my deep need for a loving Savior. 
There is nothing left after this moment. You say, Ryan, I want to know God. Well, then you've got to get to this place in your walk in life to realize that this natural world will not satisfy and it will leave you at this point where you're grasping for the very edge of your rope until you realize you have nothing left in this world. It will leave you empty and void. That is repentance. That is what Jesus wanted for our lives. That is what the access code to getting into heaven. That's the access code to experience a supernatural world on this earth. Look at this scripture I thought would be appropriate in Psalms. Look at this in the message paraphrase. I love God because he listened to me. He listened as I begged for mercy. He listened so intently as I laid out my case before him. Death stared me in the face. Hell was hard on my heels. Up against it, I didn't know which way to turn. But then I called to God for help. Please, God, I cried out, save my life. God is gracious. It is he who makes things right. Our most compassionate God. God takes the side of the helpless. When I was at the end of my rope, he saved me. Ryan, I want to experience God. I want to experience a supernatural world. I want, I want to experience him. I just can't quite get there. Well, then maybe life hasn't gotten you to the place where you realize that this world can offer you nothing that will satisfy you like a relationship with Jesus Christ will. The third one here today is found, jump to our parallel verse because Matthew or Luke didn't write this in his account. Matthew did write this in his account. And so we'll jump over to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. And it says this, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Imagine bowing down in worship before Jesus, and there's doubt in your heart. Probably sounds very familiar. I experience the same thing on a regular basis. Coming to church here, raise my hands, and I'm singing the songs, but deep in my heart, I don't actually believe that Jesus will do what he said he would do in my life. Anyone else ever felt that way? And here are these men bowed down before Jesus, and they doubted. And obviously in the context here, Jesus isn't totally thrilled with it, but it is what it is. We're human. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And appropriately today, our third one, the key to unlocking the spiritual world and your, your natural world, it's very simply water baptism. We see this happen a couple of times in Matthew chapter 3, I'm sorry, uh, Mark chapter 1, 4 and 5. It says, so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance, look at that, for the forgiveness of sins, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Then Jesus comes to this instruction in Matthew 28, 19, and says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in order for us to understand the implications of water baptism, we have to understand the implications of discipleship. So you might be here today and you say, Ryan, I'm a Christian, but I've never been water baptized. We want to encourage you, if there's water in that tub, <laughs> we want to encourage you to do that today. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you say, Ryan, something you're saying is making sense to me and I want to give my life to Jesus. Well, fantastic. Let's get you baptized in your Sunday clothes and all. Yeah, I brought my, my nicest extra clothes. I know. I'm saying I gave my nicest extra clothes to other people. Thank you, Eddie. We have to understand discipleship before we can understand water baptism. So we look at discipleship. I think the best verse to explain discipleship or what it means to be a follower of Jesus is found in Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, is it? Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, so there's a desire, 
They must deny themselves. They must take up their cross. And they must follow me. So if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to basically say, okay, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to, I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. What this says here is that we are going to Golgotha, that we are being led to the cross. Now, this doesn't mean you're accepting a life of terror and trouble. This doesn't mean that you're accepting a life of being arrested and beaten. That might be, I don't know. But the reality is, is that what we're accepting is, is that in our spiritual world, in our spiritual life, on the man or the woman who we are on the inside, we are accepting the fact that water baptism or discipleship means that I am going to identify with the fact that Jesus died physically on the cross. His physical death on the cross, I'm going to do spiritually. I'm going to die to my desires. I'm going to die to my wants. I'm going to die to my agenda. I'm going to die to my ways. And so, as it says on the screen, very simply, that discipleship is, uh, is it there? Discipleship is an agreement to die spiritually the way he died physically. The next slide. So, therefore, that would mean that water baptism is the physical agreement, the outward expression that you have chosen to die with Christ. The reason I felt I wanted to spend some time talking about this specifically today, obviously, of water baptisms, and I'm going to say this, and it might be a little bit of offensive to some of you, and I don't want to offend you, but I just want to say it like I think it, like I, like I see it in my head, because that's how I do it. Some of us have been water baptized, but we're not dead to, dead to ourselves. Some of us have been followers of Jesus for a long time, and as we watch these water baptisms today, and I continue to teach on this, I want you to come to a place where you're being water baptized uh, in your own heart and mind and coming back to the place where you remember you died with Christ. You were crucified. Your, your life is now Christ's life. Your desires are no longer your desires. Your wants are no longer your wants. And the scripture clearly teaches in Romans chapter 6, 3, and 7. Have you forgotten? Look at this. That when we were joined with Christ Jesus, have you forgotten, he says, that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. This is all water baptism we're talking about. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also, look at this, may live new lives, not just supernaturally, not just when you die. My, my great uncle, uh, a man uh, who I respect, in honor with all my life, died this morning. And he's with Jesus. He did not live his life just for an eternity in heaven. He lived his life knowing now, in this life, I live a new life. A life of joy, a life of peace, a life of long-suffering, a life of perseverance, a life of expectation and faith. Not a life of death and not a life of sadness and not a life of disconnection and not a life of malfunction and dysfunction. I live a life of wholeness before God because he makes us new through baptism. That's what he does. Since we have been united with him in his death, well, we will also be raised to life as he was. Next slide, please. Look at this. We know that our old sinful selves... They were crucified with Christ so that, look at this, sin might lose its power in our lives. Did you see that? That sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. 
The areas in your life that you can't conquer, the things in your heart that you can't overcome, you can't overcome it on your own. Only by the power of Jesus Christ in your life can you conquer the power of sin in your life. We have a great privilege and honor of serving a God who gives us the keys to, to conquer death, sickness, and disease. Now, does that mean that you sin? Well, of course you sin. You're human. But it doesn't mean we can live a conquering life. Yes, it does mean that. The New Testament speaks very clearly in church history about baptism being a direct response. I want to say this, and then we're going to go back into a time of worship. Water baptism is not something that you pray about. Water baptism is not something you fast about. Water baptism is something you spend years considering and praying. Water baptism is a simple response. When I met my wife 13 years ago at a youth conference, I looked at a distance and I saw her. And the moment I looked at this woman, I knew I wanted to marry her. The moment I looked at her, and I, I, won't, I won't be crass here, but she was wearing a very nice outfit that I highly noticed. The moment I engaged her, the moment I talked to her, the moment something began to change in my heart, I knew, oh man, I am smitten. This girl, I got to be with her. And I just went into aggressive mode. Two weeks in, I went up to Canada. Well, I'm in Canada now, so I was in the States and I went up to BC to see, to see her after two weeks of dating her. You know what I told her? She says, well, I said, so what's going on here with us? And she says, well, let's just see if we're going to be friends. I said, I did not drive up here to be your friend. <laughs> I said, I want to marry you. She says, whoa, it's two weeks in. I said, I don't care. I, I, that's where I'm at. When I committed to her, I put on a ring. And people say, well, I don't know, marriage, whatever. Like marriage is, a, is, in my mind, the most romantic, committed thing you can do for the person you're in love with. Not being married is, this, is kind of a, an opportunity to say, okay, I'm still on the market. But when I get married, it's my way of putting a ring on my finger saying, I am fully committed for the rest of my life to this woman. There is never another woman. My eye is never for another woman on this planet. This ring right here is to show I'm taken. I'm smitten. You can't have me. I can't have you. She's mine. I'm hers. We stood in front of a bunch of people and we said, guess what, guys? We're committing to marriage and we need you to keep us to that. That was the point of my relationship in marriage. That's why I encourage everyone who's in a relationship and they love one another to get married. That is exactly the same thing that we do in water baptism. That when you meet Jesus, something just happens. Man, my heart burns within me. Something's going on. I read the scriptures and I, I'm going to skip all the scriptures today because you can read them later. It's on the version app. There's like 15 scriptures of different people who got saved immediately and their first response was, well, hey, there's some water. Hey, there's a puddle. Let's get baptized. Literally, one guy, Philip, the Holy Spirit said, go run by this chariot. And he starts literally running by this chariot. Hey, this, this eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch, was reading the Bible. What you reading? Oh, I'm reading Isaiah. I don't really understand it. Can I show you? He showed him the scriptures all the way to the New Testament, all the way to Christ. And the man was driving there. Now he's in the chariot, riding the chariot. Looks over. Hey, there's some water. Let's get baptized. It's not something you pray about. It's not something you consider. If you're in love with Jesus, make a commitment to him. Get married. Be in a loving relationship with him. Commit your heart to him. Will there be hard times? Yes. Will you have an argument with Jesus? Sure. Will you feel sometimes that maybe, should I, did I make the right choice? And I've never thought that. Maybe she has. 
Will you think that sometimes with Jesus? Yes. It's just like a relationship with a spouse or just like a relationship with someone else. If you make a commitment to him, put the ring on your finger, get water baptized as, a, as an agreement of saying, guys, in front of everyone today, I am now gonna say my spirit man is going to be crucified with Christ. And when I come out of that water, I am made new in the power of his name. I'm made new in the word of God. I no longer am a slave to sin. I, am a, I have, I have the, the power of God living in me. I have a new life, a new power, new joy, new peace, new understanding, new perspective, something changes in your life, the supernatural comes into your natural world. We experience these through communion, repentance, and through water baptism. So what we're going to do today is we're going to, um, good news, there's water. We're going to worship for a couple of moments here this, uh, this morning. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a couple songs and then I'm going to go put on some different clothes. We'll get in here. We're going to baptize these folks and then we're going to have communion today as well. Amen. So come on, Lord, we just thank you. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you today that your grace, Father, is here. I pray that, Lord, Father, even today, some people's hearts are pitter-pattering really fast because they know the Holy Spirit's telling them, you need to get water baptized today. Some in the room, God, hearts are pitter-pattering because they feel like, man, I've known about this message and I just feel like today's a day where I'm supposed to give my life to God. Lord, we believe, Lord, that your word is true and every man is not truthful, God. Your word is true. We love you. We thank you, Father. In the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, let's worship together. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.